Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 124 of the Citrix Session. I'm your host, Andy Whiteside. 124, guys, that's a lot of numbers. We have to apologize. We've been MIA for a while since like mid-December. Life happens, right? Life does happen. Lots of things in life have happened. Yep. Yes, it does. So that was the voice of Jeremy Myers. Jeremy, how's it going? I'm doing excellent. I'm doing excellent. It's been a fun, fun Christmas, fun kickoff to the year. It's been exciting. Here we are. So guess what? I missed everything you just said because I'm dumb enough to change my audio devices right in the middle of a podcast. Well, I don't want to oversell what I just said. I just basically said it's been busy. We've been good. It's been a fun start of the year. Give us, um, tell us what your new role is at Cloud Software Group, which is the new company. It is. It is the new company. So, um, so I have a I have a similar role. So first and foremost, you nailed it, right? Cloud Software Group. In fact, uh, Andy, I'm going to need you to send the invite for the podcast now to a new email address. So uh, it's actually cloud.com. Uh, in fact, looking back, that might be uh, the only thing that remains of um, that acquisition a few years ago. I don't know if you remember, but we acquired um, the software um, that was a, what was a cloud platform. Do you remember this? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we ended up uh, we ended up spinning that off several years ago, and the one which, thing we which, made... by the way, that wasn't a bad idea. It's just it was a great idea. It's yeah. a great idea. It's just there's there's a lot of things to execute, and that mm-hmm. the cloud has happened, and the in the architecture behind it's happened, and yeah. It, but the cloud.com came out of it. That that could be the most valuable thing twenty years from now. That I mean, that is usually what I lead presentations off with. I'm like, hey, listen, so my I'm so and so at cloud.com. Yeah, we somehow finagled that domain name, right? Which is pretty awesome, but. Um, but yeah, yeah, so we're we're cloud software group now, and I manage a team of partner technical strategists. So that is a fancy way of saying um, partner sales engineers, essentially. Um, and we work directly with partners like Zintegra, um, not just sort of educating them, um, letting them know what's new, but um, getting very involved in their opportunities. So we are less customer focused, or at least engaged, I guess I should say. Um, than in the past. And our big focus is really working directly with the Zintegras to just be successful. That's what our goal is. You know, we're successful if they're successful. So, and, and you're successful. Frank, that's what Zintegra was built to be is this conduit between the customer and the vendor. But that doesn't mean you're like not going to talk to customers. You're going to talk to us, like us and you are going to talk to customers. Exactly. And at the end of the day, it's a scalable, better approach. In fact, the blog we're going to talk about today came from another partner that um, is helping customers solve problems with Citrix and let's talk about it, right? It's, that's okay. It's, it's, it's all ships rise. Mm-hmm. This thing, this desktop is a service world. It's, it, it hasn't hit its mark yet. It's, it's, it's got a lot of legs left on it to get to where it should go. Yeah, no, I totally agree. In fact, so I've got, uh, I got my first call this afternoon with um, a, um, uh, one of the AEs at is Integra. And we're going to talk about adaptive auth and DAS premium and kind of what that looks like for a customer. And, you know, eventually we'll turn that into some kind of demo actually. So. I, I love that. That was great. Actually, you said that, and you didn't. And you didn't say VDI. I love the fact you didn't say VDI, because uh, you know, digital workspace is part of a current and future and ongoing digital transformation. I mean, we could be 140 years old still talking about this thing. It, it never ends. We probably will. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we, probably we will. Have... Guaranteed. Yeah, we will. As, as a guy who's turning 50 in a couple months. Oh uh, my. Okay, I'll remember yeah. that. Well, I'll, I'll, you'll, there'll be a party. I'm gonna. I'm planning my own party. I started planning yesterday. <laughs> Bill Sutton, what's been going on since mid-December? Oh, you know, life, holidays, trips, kickoff, all good. 
It's, it's hard to believe. <clears throat> I know it is really is a lot. I'm going to go back and check. We did, that was with Chris Fleck was our last one. I think I can't believe that was a month ago. Mm-hmm. It was, by the way, did he show up? Was he a part of kickoff um, when you two, he was. two weeks ago? Was it? I talked to Chris this morning and yeah, he showed up and it was great to have his, you know, legacy and his awareness of what's kind of happened and what's coming back around on the Citrix side and how they're going to lead with, you know, technology and solving problems and, partner with partners. And then we were also fortunate enough uh, to have Mark Templeton come to kind of help us close the uh, sessions out and, you know, him being part of us and what we're doing and part of, you know, our, 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 our guiding shining light in the beginning. And even today around what it means to be able to add value and be successful while still being humble and having a purpose. It was awesome. You know, I love Chris Fleck and I love kind of what he brings to the table. It reminds me of a synergy we did a few years ago where um, it was we had just acquired Octoblue. I don't know if you guys remember that that company, but it was very yeah. much, you know, if this, then that um, kind of workflow mm-hmm. driven, which may be a little bit of ahead of its time, you know, based on what we're doing. Um, but the idea is, you know, you walked into a room, you had Alexa sitting there and you would say, hey, Alexa, start my meeting. And it would kick a workflow off that would start, you know, at the, at the time, go to meeting. Um, then it would say, hey, save this recording. Hey, Alexa, save this recording or whatever. And on the back end, it would go through and grab something in the recording, dump it to share file, send a link out to everyone that was in the meeting. You know, it was just like the forward thinking kind of stuff. You didn't know that's what a workspace looked like. And to be honest, you know, we spitball things. Some things stuck, some things didn't. I think that's just kind of what you try uh, when you're trying to innovate. Um, yeah. But man, you know, I just some of the stuff that that guy's brought to Citric over the years has been pretty amazing. The X1 Mouse, if you remember that, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. um, you know, the, uh, um, uh, the raspberry Pi was kind of, I think his brainchild originally. So lots of good things. Yeah. And there's gonna be more of that, you know, applying tech and some of it won't work, but then there's a lot of applying concepts to the existing technologies within those technologies and things that may or may not, uh, hit a home run, but it won't be like, you know, trying to reinvent the wheel. It'll be applying to the DAS and digital workspace world, things that, are the obvious no-brainer next next things in the fold. Mm-hmm. All right. So, Jeremy, uh, you picked today's blog, and based on what's here in the opening paragraphs, two of them, what is this and and, and why does it matter? Well, let me read the title. The, the Right Start to Architecting an Efficient DAS, uh, Desktop as a Service Environment, and this is by Kapil Singh, who we believe to be a, um, to be a uh, uh, architect at uh, WePro. WePro, WiPro, however you want to say it. Oh, he does. In fact, I guess it's right here in the in the second paragraph. He leads R and D um, within their practice, actually, within their VDM okay. practice. So, why did you pick this one? Why Why do you think we should be talking about this one today? You know, so it covers a lot of um, just really architecture thought questions you should be asking yourself. So, I mean, I listen. I've done a lot of POCs over the years, and you know, I can be. I can't tell you how many times it's it's turned into let's just jump right in and start building things. Which, by the way, I love. Don't get me wrong, I love building. Um, technology. I love spinning up things in Azure and all these different locations and really making the technology work. But when you're designing a production-ready environment, I mean, there's some things that you need to consider. Uh, and this article really hits some of those those bullets on what you should be thinking through if you're not doing already um, in any of your projects. So, you know, I thought this resonated. You know, obviously, this is something that, you know, probably hits the blogs once a year, maybe once every couple of years, and it's worth revisiting. Uh, it always worth discussing, and I can't begin to tell. I, I'll, here, I'll do this real quick, and I think Bill would agree to this. Citrix Consulting 
did a major favor for all of us by coming up with these methodologies back in the day. And Bill and I used those same methodologies around how to architect solutions and how to do the discovery and stuff in, in all of our projects. We, Bill, what was that class? What was the certification we got? Uh, it was think like a consultant or, or consulting services. I forget the name of it, but it was a, the online course that Citrix offered as part of the, uh, be part of the Citrix service or Citrix um, provider program as part of CCS. Yeah. I think it was think like a consultant or act and think like a consultant or something like that. And then there was another course on, on consulting methodologies. Yeah. I, to this day, and I wish I still had the little, little book, like the little uh, exam cram book I had for that. It was so succinct about how it tried to help you understand the mindset of a, a consultant and making sure you went through the proper phases, even though like Jeremy talked about, you just, you just can't wait to get in and start implementing stuff. That, that never goes right. I, I put together, I, I, I put up closet doors yesterday and I, I drilled two holes in my fingers. That's one of my problems. <laughs> uh, I drilled all the way through to my hand twice. Oh my. Uh, and, and I also didn't look at the instructions and didn't follow the instructions in the right order. And I made two major mistakes. It required putty and paint to kind of hide my mistakes. <laughs> um, but that, all that applies no matter what you're doing in life. I, I, I so hope that I can get my kids to go through something like that at some point and use that for well, their job, as well as even personal stuff. Um, okay, uh, let's, we're gonna never get through this if we don't, if I don't force us to. The first section is a well-defined assessment of requirements. Now this is project, pilot, POC, POV, no matter what you're doing, finding out what the customer, what the, the end user, the consumer, Maybe not the end user, but maybe, the, well, definitely the end user, but the people in the middle as well, you know, what they're trying to cover, you know, Bill, this is, this is your baby. This is your area. You want to run through the first yeah, one? Is user. I, I mean, yeah. First, what I would do is go back slightly to the, to the first paragraph. And the last sentence there is really key, key indicates it all a purpose built DAS architecture that fits the needs of a business and technology is the answer. And what I mean by purpose built is you know, it, this this is not a one size fits all proposition in ninety five percent of the cases. We, it needs to be to some degree customized, and part of a part of getting to to that customization is having adequate discovery slash assessment, uh, and that's what this first section covers. And this is yeah. it's kind of interesting in looking at looking through this when we selected it that it really is is aligned very closely with what we do on the majority of our implementation projects at Zentegra. Uh, we, we follow a methodology that was championed by Citrix that essentially involves an assessment slash discovery upfront. And we do things like, you know, what this says, the first one here is users. Hey, Bill, um, Bill yeah. you, you brought something up, made me, made me think, and I want to bring this up real quick. Sure. Would you, okay, true or false? Most of our customers' physical desktops environments happened organically or they were well thought out. Uh, organically. Organically, mm. right? And so the challenge here is, as we start to move this stuff into a deliver as a service, we ain't got time to worry about. We don't have time for organic to happen, right? We we got to hit it pretty close the first time or the second time or the third time. We don't have 30 years of evolution. You know, most of your customers' desktop solutions are 20 plus years of evolving organically. Uh, we don't have time to do that when we're doing do it as a service, right? Uh, we have to have, we have to make time. Well, we don't have time for it to happen organically. We've no, got we don't have time for it to happen organically. We have to, we have to, we have to plan for it. We have to design it properly. 
and and most of my seniors, when I talk to executives, they just it's just desktops, guys. Just make it happen. Like, no, no, it's not just desktops. It's as a service delivered, you know, centralized app computing in world, aka digital workspace, which happens to be the desktop. Um, you can't afford to get it wrong because it once we get one or bad experience, one or two bad experiences, they'll never let us try this again. That's good. Well, exactly like- right. It's like cars. I mean, you don't show up at a dealership and go, hey, it's just cars, y'all. Just pick one and go. You go, no, listen, I'm a mom. I've got three kids. You know, let's let's talk through what my requirements are, right? Um, I might be single with plenty of cash to burn. Hey, that's a different, that's a different scenario, right? You got to kind of understand, you know, where that end user is coming from. And that's essentially what we're doing here. We're really just trying to understand what your requirements are. Um, I can tell you my wife wants 14 cup holders. Why? Because we have four kids and we need 14 cup holders. This is how it works. And you can't have a Volvo if you want big cup holders. <laughs> All those don't have cup holders, <laughs> but uh, Toyota Highlanders do. That's why I have a Toyota Highlander. Right. But, you know, listen, my daughter's 13. She's going to be 16, 17 here in a few years. And, you know, maybe in four or five years, safety is a bigger concern. And, and then maybe it's a Volvo. But um, I don't know. She's she's a teenager. She ain't getting a Volvo. So but. One, uh, I'll make this super quick. One of our business partners <laughs> in an SMB joint venture, um, uh, Mark Vincent, he's talking about he's got kids that range from almost 30 down to 15 or 16 and his oldest kids drove like muscle cars with manual transmissions. His youngest kid, he, he says he'll, he'll never have um, a gas combustion car. Like he's, it's all electric. He'll never know anything different. You might be right. Actually, you might be right. Yeah. First of all, he's not driving a, a manual because it's hard to find. And then secondly, you know, by the time he's buying his first car, I can promise you it'll probably be electric. Yeah. Well, you bought one. Like, it's electric mm-hmm. and he'll never drive probably gas and, and it's not interesting. Okay, Bill, I'm sorry. I took you off topic. Uh, One of the objectives is to understand the who? The users, the people that are going to use this solution. And and some of the factors here are, they're listed here, but, you know, the condition of the network, whether they're they're in an office all day long working on the same device versus roaming, um, the customization, things like profiles and policies need to be considered. Um, as well as the nature of the user. And, you know, Citrix, I think, used to put them and probably still does into categories under the like, you know, knowledge worker, task worker, power user. And that still applies. But that's an important distinction to make uh, when you're assessing um, the user requirements of a DAS solution. I, I feel like it's 1999 all over again. I mean, that, that hasn't changed. That has not changed. No. Yeah. It's, that's why we call it end user computing. Our, our whole entire job in IT is to help users get their job done. That's right. So we should probably include them in what we're doing on the front side, not just at the end result. Absolutely. Absolutely. And obviously the next one application landscape, who's, who are the owners of the apps? They're, they're the ones that are going to have to, they, they need to be considered because they're the ones that are likely going to have to get them installed and configured in this, uh, mm-hmm. this net new environment. Where they're hosted, um, certainly the classification of the apps and and who who gets access to them is critical. Obviously, uh, in designing your 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 group permission structure, such that you're not you're not throwing everybody into one group for and then or having or assigning individual users to applications. You create a group based structure where you add the user to the group and then the group gets added to the app. All of those are considerations when it comes to the application landscape, as well as obviously support for the operating systems you're going to deliver, obviously. Well, in the operating systems, that first app you got to think about that's going to get you to all the other apps in the middleware as well as the endpoint. And, you know, at some point, these all become SaaS apps. And why are we talking about desktops? We just need a digital workspace with a with a browser of some type. And that becomes our, you know, our conduit. We don't need a desktop anymore. But, Jeremy, any thoughts on these first two? Um, you know, so 
uh, from a user perspective, you know, I think the one I've seen a lot more recently than I have in the past is certainly geographical distribution. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe three years ago, we thought about just regional offices, but now it's, you know, folks are working from home, they're working, you know, hybrid, and I don't mean just salespeople, but just regular Joes um, who do any sort of job in an organization. So you have to consider that, you know, and usually what that means is you got to consider the network conditions as well. Um, you know, I think we've always talked about personalization and I get all that, but um, man, it's interesting the number of conversations I've gotten into just around where my users sit, you know, what we can expect out of the network. It's always been a thing, but it's really just become more recently. Um, but, you know, in some cases, the application landscape drives that as well. So, I mean, if you if you have very graphically intense applications, that is going to impact your user experience, you know. So now you might want to deliver 3D CAD, but you might not be doing it to certain locations. You've got to have the bandwidth to support it, but you wouldn't know that unless you went through this exercise. And, um, and unified communication apps. I'm I'm, I'm embarrassed yeah. to say I'm not using my virtual desktop right now, but I have in the past. And if that's important, which it is to almost mm-hmm. everybody these days, and that's got to be one of the apps you talk about. In fact, it's got to be one of the biggest ones these days. In fact, um, so Teams, Zoom, um, you know, WebEx are three of the ones that pop up all the time. Uh, and those get a little bit easy just from a deployment perspective because there's special plugins for them. But um, it's not unusual for us to get asked about, you know, just a third-party app I've never heard of that does UC. Yeah. Uh, and so how do you factor that in? It's important to know that going up front because that might, you know, that might define things like roaming or static. It might define, you know, how much resource you you can actually give a virtual desktop. Yeah. Um, it's very interesting. The other thing I'll say about the application landscape is in a lot of cases, you talked about physical desktops and how organically they've grown and how all the apps, just any app you can think of ends up on a physical desktop. When you're in that scenario of moving that into a DAS environment, I say DAS because some of these are going to be SaaS, of course, but moving into a DAS environment, a lot of organizations look at that opportunity to rationalize the apps. So you guys can both remember back in the day when you would just get a list of apps that would hit your desktop that included 14 versions of Adobe Acrobat and for whatever reason, the CD writing software that had to be in the virtual desktop. You go, what's the use case for that? Well, not really. It was just a dump from some tool on the endpoint. I get that. But you know, a lot of organizations, they take this opportunity to actually rationalize the apps that need to go in this DAS environment. So, you know, the first two are huge in terms of just defining what you're delivering as a service. Yep. I have so many things I would love to talk about, but I'm, I'm going to keep us moving on. Uh, cause we'll never get there. I will say this, Bill and I just got out of our management meeting every Monday morning. I think we spent 20 minutes talking about endpoints that we wanted to, and we, we do this stuff for a living and we use digital workspaces yet. We had to spend 20, 30 minutes on today's call, figuring out which laptop models we were going to buy. Bill, go ahead and hit this next one. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's true. And, you know, endpoint types is another, another, uh, objective that, that you need to consider. And obviously, you know, the operating system is a big part of that, but, uh, Form factors fit as well. I mean, you could you're, whether you're talking about you know a tablet or a or a uh, a laptop or a physical desktop that that's being used today. But you know this kind of it kind of dovetails into the other two, the the location of your users and to a to a to a larger degree what Jeremy was bringing up, which is the concept of the application landscape. Do we need to do we need to provide these users that have a Windows or a Mac device? Do they need a desktop delivered to them, or do they just need apps delivered to them, or SaaS apps delivered to them? Um, certainly, understanding the endpoint type as in conjunction with the other two items helps drive that the answer to those questions. Yeah. So, Bill, the next one on the list is printing or printer and other peripheral requirements. Uh, they told me ten years ago people wouldn't be printing by now. Are you telling me people still have to print? 
people still have to print. Yes, they do. That's a that's a key item. We we have that in our sales specifically called out. Um, but the other the other peripherals are probably becoming more. They are they're not less important, but they're certainly equally as important. Things like webcams, uh, microphones, mm-hmm. um, in the in consideration of what was said earlier around um, around Teams, you you know unified communication applications like Teams or Zoom or WebEx, et cetera. Um, obviously, those those devices. And if you start looking at an industry where it says here industry specific hardware like healthcare, then you're looking at things like pin pads, signature pads. Um, you know, maybe uh, other types of medical devices that send telemetry somewhere. Maybe those need to be connected to a desktop. Maybe they need to be on a physical desktop that's specialized or dedicated to them. Um, But those are things that all need to be considered as part of designing um, a solution for your customer. Jeremy, anything this last two that you want to highlight? Um, Well, first of all, I want to ask a question. I see one, two, three, four, five, six different endpoint types, Andy. Windows, Mac OS, iOS, Android, Linux, Chrome OS. How many of those do you own and tinker with. <laughs> well, I mean, as we're going through this, I literally had to go around and touch the, some of them in my office because it's time for them to get updated. My my Chrome OS is right here. My Windows is right here. It also boots into a Linux OS. I've got an Agile uh, LG all-in-one behind me. I mean, I got four of them plus a phone as I'm standing here right now. Yeah, you know, I, and I think as a um, as an IT professional, someone who's in the EUC space, and not you specifically, but just anyone in this space, I mean, I think you gotta you gotta own all these things, and you gotta test and tinker with them because you're not gonna know what they're capable of. Um, I can just tell you, coming from a you know a sales engineering perspective, the questions I'll get from customers saying, "Hey, can I do this thing? Can I do this whoop de doo with Mac OS in this scenario?" I'm like, "I got no idea. Let me pull the MacBook out. Let's give it a go." Because nothing surprises me anymore. You know, I thought peripheral requirements were kind of gonna go away because Printing seemed to be the biggest one. Uh, as it turns out, it seems like it's uh, it's it's all the multimedia stuff, like you mentioned, Bill. You know, yeah. can I get this 4K camera that does not ship with my laptop, um, but it's a Logitech? You know, specifically to do stuff like this, can I get that remoted in um, as a peripheral? Same thing for this high-end boom mic that I decided to get over COVID, right? So, you know, it's pretty important to understand exactly you know what the endpoints are capable of um because the thing you'll find is and this is specific to citrix is you know we make a workspace app for everything but you got to understand what is supported as well so even though you want to do you know maybe um you know v- video redirection like you do on windows but on chrome os you got to understand it works differently yeah. so you got to understand what those limitations may or may not be but but let's stop and highlight that uh, standardizations happening uh, has happened. Um, Citrix has all the workspace apps where they mostly do the same things if capable, if the endpoint's capable, and we've standardized on USB, thankfully, on a lot of things. And uh, that this world that we're talking about right now is so much better than it was in the mid two thousands, where it was a, a crapshoot whether things would work or not. I think things are likely to work now. And that's the Citrix has you know, been the leader in, in that space and still is by far the, the leader in making sure that stuff you need, Mr. Implementation guy, Mr. Integrator works more than likely. Yep. More than likely. Mm-hmm. All right, Bill, high availability concerns. My goodness, how many times have we talked about this on the podcast and other things in the last two years? Uh, we've talked about it a lot and we hear it a lot from customers. Um, you know the the ability to stay online um, in the event of an event. Um, the the challenge we run into here is a lot of customers want this want want disaster recovery, and they'll say, "I want to make sure that I develop or I I build this environment sufficient so that I've got a I've got DR and BCP 
um, built in business continuity planning built in from uh, the standpoint of my 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 VDI environment, if that's what they're building. Uh, the challenge we run into is a lot of times they will build it in the DR facility, but there's nothing else there except maybe a domain controller. So you need customers need to consider, and part of this exercise, you need to consider, okay, you want to build DR. What do you have in DR? What do you really need in DR? Do you need like for like? Do you need a degraded environment? These are all considerations uh, that come up. And, and then obviously when you're dealing with the cloud, you're no longer really having to worry about the infrastructure components, the ability to deliver DR is much simpler. Um, it's literally in the Citrix world, delivering some cloud connectors at each location uh, and then orchestrating the connections to those through the cloud control plane. But fundamentally it comes down to what, are you, what do you want to deliver? How much, uh, how, how much degraded, if any, do you want a DR situation to be? And what do you already have in DR? That need, what do you need in DR or what do you already have there? that can, or other than your virtual desktops, because I can give you a virtual desktop in DR. Uh, so if you have a, a disaster event, you can connect to your desktop, but if there's no no data or no application, you know, things that going on there, then I haven't really done much for you. Yeah, I mean, I like to say that Citrix is kind of the easy part. You guys yep. can tell me if I'm wrong, but Citrix is kind of the easy part, right? Like spinning up desktops in a, in a second location in yep. case of a disaster. Is not hard, but that backend infrastructure. I mean, how you're replicating your databases and, right. and all the you're just thinking of a three tier environment, like what that looks like. How are you getting that over to your your second location? Um, you almost have to define what's a disaster. Like, what are you planning yep. for? Yep. Well, that's yep. that kind of goes back to the whole to to really the overarching element is what is the overall objective of what the customer is trying mm -hmm. to accomplish here in in considering or implementing a solution like this, um, and certainly understanding what DR means to them uh, and what their expectations are is equally as important. So this to me goes back to the previous conversation around peripherals, and that was a you know two thousand generation conversation. Now high availability, Jeremy. Your comment was you tell me if you're we're wrong. We were supposed to tell you if you're wrong. Citrix is the easy part. Well, it is today because yeah, is. The, uh, the platform as a service model. Five years ago, and even in some of our clients who haven't adopted platform as a service, it's mm -hmm. still a hard conversation. But if you adopt platform as a service, couple connectors, maybe maybe not even that. Um, Citrix is the easy part. It absolutely is today. Um, it it is very easy. Yep. So particularly the DAS model. This next one, I think we'll just skip it, right? Security, nobody cares, right? <laughs> it's made up just for budget. That's all. Well, I, that's I, right. I will throw this out. And I I talk to people, sometimes argue with people weekly. Yeah, I'm a desktop as a service guy. I'm a digital workspace guy. I believe security starts with a non-persistent delivered compute environment, a desktop or apps or SaaS with analytics. That's where security starts for me. You know, I'm not monitoring and threat analysis and all that. That's important. Absolutely important. But if you tell me I'd reboot my desktop back to a gold image every time and whatever bad stuff I might have got on it is now gone, that's where I believe it starts. And we have multiple customers. We've gone in and, and looked at their environment post ransomware. And the only thing left standing was the non-persistent desktop environment. Mm -hmm. Absolutely right. Uh, the other thing I would add to that is a secure browser. Um, is a browser that can, that can be centrally managed, whether the device is centrally managed or not, that the users um, must use to access um, secure uh, or line of business SaaS-based apps. That's a, another consideration when you start uh, driving around security. I mean, obviously, they've named a lot of items, items here like PCI, HIPAA, high tech, and so forth. Uh, those are all things that need to be considered, but you need to understand which ones apply and those that don't apply to the individual customer at, at issue here. Um, and a lot of that is just going to be involved 
is just going to involve discussing with uh, their security team uh, and other folks uh, in the organization uh, to to address those those uh, needs. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think there are there are kind of two buckets here, right? So there there is the bucket of compliance, right? So there's things that you must turn on or turn off or manage because you're in a certain industry and you're you know you're regulated by certain you know security right. regulations here, right? So PCI, HIPAA, you know, those are healthcare, you know, credit card transaction things like that. Um, so that's one aspect of it. And the second aspect of it is just risk to the business, right? I mean, no one wants to go buy antivirus, but they buy it because it reduces that risk footprint to the business. And so, you know, just understanding what that risk is, because you can't turn it all on. There's not enough budget to turn everything on. Um, but understanding what the risk is, getting in front of the right teams, um, you know, within the organization to understand that. Um, you know, luckily, there's a lot of knobs and switches within Citrix to cover a lot of bases, but we don't cover everything. So you also need to understand how what we do um, layers in with the rest of your security strategy. And so, you know, that's a conversation that um, we've had to have a lot more over the past two or three years, especially as everything has gone remote. But it's a it's a huge overarching you know governance to anything that you put in place for your end users. Yeah. And and at the end of the day, it's not if it's when. Mm-hmm. You need to make sure you can prove to the people that are supposed to pay you the money back that you did all the, the appropriate things you could have done yeah. to make sure you prevented this. Yeah, I, I don't. One thing to add here, though, is I don't know how many times we've run we've run into situations where the customer um, we're talking about security. Oh, we have antivirus on our desktops. We want to put that in VDI or we have this EDR application in our desktops. We want to put that in VDI. Well, there's a lot of considerations that you need to take into account here. Uh, when you start putting something like that in, in if you're delivering a desktop, then then those things can have an impact on the performance of that desktop. We need to secure it, and maybe that the tool that they've been using for 20 years is not the right tool to meet the security needs in VDI. I mean, in some cases they are, but these are considerations that need to be talked talk through with the client and the consultant uh, to come to some sort of agreement on the approach that needs to be taken to address the, the risk. So, Jeremy, I'm going to give you the last one, but before you attack it, I'm going to change what it says. When I talk to a company about this one, I say it this way, current and future business expectations. And I'm really bullish on adding the future one in there because you don't know what you don't know. Let's build something that might be conducive for what's coming. Go ahead. Uh, what, so what would what we call this layer eight? So... If we're talking about the OSI model, you've got layer one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and this is layer eight. You know, sometimes these are political. Um, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of business decisions drive technology, right? So, I mean, DAS is cool and everything, but you know, what does that give you? And I think you've got to understand that. I mean, the reason you might be doing that is strictly security. You know, so you might have some budget, but what might be driving this is a security, or it could be you're trying to reduce some spend somehow, right? Whatever that looks like. So someone might've decided that I can do DAS as a service and reduce my spend somehow. You know, I think this is where you need to understand, all right, do I have to, I have to consider cost per user for a desktop? Um, you know, you start thinking that from different perspectives. And then other times it's just, you know, there's been a decision made Andy has seen this. Bill has seen this. Seen this is we are going to the cloud. <laughs> so there's been some strategic damn it. decision. No, it's, no, it's, we're going to the cloud. <laughs> damn it. Yes. Okay. And so we cloud? are going to the cloud, and you know whether or not it makes sense from a cost or technology perspective. You know, someone within the business has said this is what we're doing, and so you have to consider that as well. So 
having said all that, you know, you have to consider things that aren't technology related driving what your project is doing. And it's important to understand that because at the end of the day, this is what this is what gets the budget is this piece right here, whatever it is you're trying to do. How about mergers and acquisitions? We got customers who have built themselves so they could be acquired using the technology to make that easier and more likely and more lucrative. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we have companies that do the acquiring that's building their platform so they can acquire companies. Yep. That's right. I I don't think this this list was necessarily in order, but I think uh, generally speaking, this expectation section would be the first thing that I would, the first part of the discussion I would have with a customer. In fact, in our typical methodology, this, uh, this section around understanding business needs and requirements, et cetera, stakeholders, that's typically first since it drives a lot of what comes after. Yeah. Yeah. So I will highlight something for the, this needs to be done um, in a meaningful way. It needs to be documented. It needs to be signed off on by the company you're, or whoever you're doing the project for before you move in. If you just make the assumptions that you got it right without reviewing it with them and having them sign off, um, there's really no accountability and chances are you missed something, if not a lot. That's absolutely right. And this is this is why we produce a design. I, I kind of liken this. I think this is an apt analogy, but I kind of liken this to, to building your own custom house or having a builder build your own custom house. You have someone come in and put together a blueprint, right? Kind of lays out what what uh, what kind of windows you're going to have, what kind mm-hmm. of countertops, what, what your appliance is going to be, et cetera. You don't just tell a guy, I want you to build me a house now. And he just goes in and builds it to his own desire, his own likes. You want it built to customized to your requirements and and this how you do that is typically some sort of, of iterative process you go through to get to the point where you produce something that drives that and that's what we're talking about here is documenting uh documenting all of this such that when it, the actual environment is built it's built according to something we all agree on yep. so there's 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 two kinds of POCs that I have done in the past the first one has been um let's build it and see who comes <laughs> and I can I can promise you that those are rarely successful. So usually when we're talking with an organization and they're interested in sort of testing out um, a solution, you know, we go through this list here to really understand just how vetted out this project is. You know, have you defined some of these use cases? Do you understand really what we're building for? Um, and if you can't answer a lot of these questions, you know, we'll we'll kind of hold off doing any sort of proof or pilot because it's typically not worth anyone's time yet. To start standing things up. So, you know, we'll wait and go, hey, let's start vetting some of these pieces out. And maybe 50% of the time we do, 50% of the time we don't. But ultimately, once you've understand what you're building for, the process goes so much smoother because you know exactly what you're designing for and what you're trying to build. It's a big and, deal. And here's the truth of all that. You're still going to get it wrong, but it won't yeah. be because you didn't do stuff to kind of get aligned on the front end. You Hopefully you didn't get it as wrong as you would have, and you still could, but we all need to hold ourselves accountable for doing the best we can. If we have to reboot, we reboot. Mm-hmm. And yep. sometimes that happens and you document it and you move you move in the, the new direction based on what you discover during the process. So that's I don't think that's unusual and it's expected to the point to Andy's point that we will get some of it wrong. Yep. All right, Jeremy, diligent analysis of meaningful insights. That's consulting um, jargon and I don't know what it means. What does it mean? So here's what I would say. So you put a solution in place. Like, how do you define success? Like, how do you know this is successful and it was useful and you're getting out of it um, what you expect? You know, you've got to build in um, metrics and insights into your solution to gather that data and put that into, you know, folks who can help make that decision. So, for instance, you put these desktops out. Um, you were building for a disaster recovery strategy. You know, did you test it at all? Do you know how that works? Or were you built 
did you build this to help improve the end user experience? Like what metrics are you gathering um, to be able to find that it's better or worse than it was, right? Uh, or better yet, how, how do you gather the insight so you can continually iterate and make it better, right? So if you understand that, you know, your first version of this was was okay, but it could perform better, you know, maybe you've overloaded your machines, you know, being able to grab those metrics, you can feed that back in and go, hey, you know what, we need less um, people per host, or, you know, maybe we need to resize the instance that we had in our cloud, whatever, you know, this has to be iterative. You don't put DAS out there and then just walk away. You have to continually, you know, take a look at it, understand it, you know, how is it performing based on what you were trying to do um, and continually improve. That's a life lesson. That's what just happened. Yeah, for sure. Bill, your thoughts on this part? No, I, I, you know, I agree completely. This is part of, you know, this is part of, uh, of making sure you deliver what the customer desires. And I, I would add in terms of, you know, it's, it's one thing to connect, collect a lot of data and analyze it and determine based on the data, um, how the, the, the um, solution is performing. But I think to Jeremy's point, uh, one of the key metrics here, which is often not easily achievable short of interviewing an end user is really understanding what the end users, uh, you know, what the end user's opinion is of the solution. In other words, how do they feel about it? Is it, how is it performing from their perspective? Granted, that's a very subjective determination, um, whereas what we're talking about here is more objective information, but that's critical to success as well, because we could look at the objective detail and all the insights and all the data, and, and it looks like it should be performing well and it's doing what it's supposed to do. But if the user doesn't like it, um, it's not going to be a success in all likelihood. So you need to evaluate the user the user themselves and their opinions uh, as a part of this, which I think is really what this is saying in a roundabout way. Uh, so it's, it is reality. Absolutely. So it, it would be easy to say, hey, spin up um, the Citrix monitoring tools and gather data. Right. And you could do that. And there are certainly things that you could pull from that, um, either from performance of security analytics. But <clears throat> I mean, some of your metrics are things like support tickets. You know, have your support tickets yep. gone up after you yep. rolled out DAS? Uh, it could be from any number of third party solutions as well. Just understand that, you know, you need to gather pieces from all over to help give you sort of a broader look at really how everything's performing. Well, some, somebody might have been Microsoft years ago, did a study on how many times a user would click on the, an error button, the OK on an error button before they would call support. And it was like three or four times If they'd click on it. I think it was four times if they would click on it four <laughs> times um, and, and the application would work and function. They'd, there'd never be a support ticket, but that user's perception of that environment may be, may be skewed by that experience. Um, well, if you had to click it a fifth time, they would call support and then it would get resolved. But often users will just move <laughs> on through the issue and, uh, and just simply um, accept it as the cost of working in the environment. But it does often result in a negative perception. And, and I'll use that moment to talk about things we're doing here to invest further in that around like ServiceNow and other real-time data. Mm -hmm technologies where, you know, ITSM becomes a natural flow when an issue pops up, it can just kind of happen uh, without having to make that dreaded support phone call. Cause I'm, I'm like every other user. I just, I go find a different way. I'd, I'd be dang if I want to have to call a support desk and <laughs> deal with that madness. By the way, I noticed there's an update for the ITMS adapter on the left there, Andy. So maybe for a future, future blog post. Uh, oh, there. blog. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's, yeah. I just got back from the ServiceNow conference. I'm so excited about opportunities to take all of our different technologies and bring them together. We're going to crush it. All right. Uh, realizable transformation strategy. Here's the one thing I want to say, and then Bill, I'll come to you on this. Digital transformation is happening. It will never end. I will be dead before it's over and it will keep going for generations after that. Your digital workspace strategy you put in place better be ready to go with it. 
And it, you better be ready for it to adapt without having to redo it over and over and over again. Bill, go ahead. Yeah, I think this section that you've got highlighted, realizable transformation strategy is really kind of a an augment or an addition to the, the section Jeremy talked about. This is really about taking the insights and making decisions and optimizing your strategy for it um, and then delivering the right types of recommendations um, to stakeholders. So this is really an outgrowth of the prior one. Um, it's, it's obviously critical in making sure that uh, that you take the data you have and and help the organization um, act on that data and understand it uh, and what it means to them, uh, you know, from the standpoint of how the environment is performing or or what needs to be improved. It could be things like they they need to add hosts uh, or they need to add capacity in order to um, in order to really be able to make the solution transform their business. Jeremy, you have to see it all the time. You talk to a customer today and six a year later or whatever, new employee later, new you know CIO later. Mm-hmm transformation thoughts around what was going to be what, what was going to be the meaning of success evolved i mean your your goals are going to change but i mean i think this is devops 101 right so yep. you you've got to be able to take the feedback um in process and just constantly you know loop it back in you know this is yep. an iterative process so you will never get this perfect but you should always be striving for perfect is really what it is well and you should dot your eyes cross your t's and realize it's going to be wrong and if we get it wrong we'll We'll do it. We'll change. We'll adapt. Yep. I had a I had a real life experience. I'll share with you real quick. Where I got on a bus, a bus. Yeah, I took a public transportation, trying to get to a meeting the other week. I had time. I had things going on. I just jumped on a bus. Well, about ten minutes later, I realized the bus was the right bus, but going the wrong direction. I just got off and went back the other way. It's okay. You know what? You you fail early on that. You don't wait until you get halfway through the trip before you decide to do it. You go, all right, we're going the wrong way. Let's uh, let's get off the bus. When you realize it's the wrong way, whether it's two minutes into it or two years into it, you adapt. It's Man, there's a there's a social psychology conversation we could be having right now, but we'll skip it for right now. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a very good point. All right, so I'll hit this next one. It's a, a mature, flexible technology. I think what we're really talking about here is Citrix because it has scars on its mm-hmm. knuckles. Going back to my example, I, I've got I drilled, like I said, I drilled two f- holes in my fingers yesterday. The second time, I had told myself, "Don't do that again," and it, I did it again. Um, scars on your knuckles, experience, uh, mm-hmm. community, um, lots of technology um, accomplishments. Citrix in the digital workspace space, specifically around DAS, but digital workspace in general. These 30 plus years of solutions and evolution means that everything we've talked about so far, if you had to go do a project right now using one technology for a desktop as a service offering, you're going to pick Citrix. Doesn't mean it's the only one that would work, but it's the one that has most likely what you need. Jeremy, go ahead. I would agree with that. I mean, it's flexible. It covers all your bases. And I think the biggest thing is, is the bases that it doesn't cover. So maybe we don't cover all of them. Uh, we realize you're going to bring to the table things that that aren't Citrix. And the other, you know, guiding principle here is, you know, integration as well. So, you know, we can integrate with just about everything as well, which is important. Bill, your thoughts on what you've seen happen over the last 30 years of Citrix? Oh, yeah. I mean, I would agree with the, the that being the solution, Citrix being the, the solution in a majority of cases and not the only solution, but certainly the one, the, the direction. That's why I picked it as the one that I I wanted to kind of base my career on many years ago. Um, but this is, uh, this section, you know, the, the key thing of this section in my view is the second to last paragraph. And this is, I, I harp on this all the time. It, 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 the, you're, you need to provide a technology or if you're providing a technology where the users 
spend the most of their time, it needs to meet their requirements and impute, improve their, their lives, improve their, yeah. their, the, the experience needs to be solid and it needs to improve their, their work, allow them to do work easier, more efficiently and from anywhere among many other factors. Yeah. And, and one of the factors might be, Hey, you can't afford Citrix. Citrix, there's ways to buy it. Right. <laughs> but in some cases it might be, you, you can't afford this. Let's look at other alternatives, but right. you're looking for the one that, that makes checks, all the boxes gets you future proofed it Citrix and maybe others, but certainly Citrix is going to be the one that's going to have most of the check boxes checks. If the box is capable of being checked. Yes. Yeah. All right, guys. Um, you know, if you're listening to this, uh, reach out to us, you know, you reach out to WePro, reach out to a partner, evaluate that partner. My statement to everybody, and this gets in trouble every once in a while, is reach out to a couple partners. It doesn't have to be as integral. Reach out to a couple and, and take the advice and see if you can blend them all together to come up with what's what's right for you. And, and one of the nice things about today's world, you know, Jeremy and his team are part of the partner ecosystem now. You're getting Citrix. And, and if you're talking to a partner, they don't have to bring Citrix to the table with them. Ask them to bring them to the table with them because they're supposed to be there these days. Uh, you, Mr. Customer, deserve the best of both, which means bringing multiple partners and the vendor to the table. And then from there, we'll see where we can go following the right approach. And, and that's been my message forever and ever and ever. Jeremy, uh, thanks for the time. Anything we didn't cover here that you want to make sure we leave our listeners with? No, this is good. This is great. I'll, I'll double double down on finding a good partner for sure, because I think there's so much around Citrix that involves not Citrix. And I think you just need someone who can step in and help, you know, just pull the solution together for you. Yeah. Bill, what do you think? Yeah, I would agree with, with Jeremy. There's definitely, um, you know, a Citrix environment. Building a Citrix environment is not for the faint of heart. It's not a it's not necessarily overly difficult, but it requires some specialization and knowledge of part piece, pieces and parts that are not Citrix, Active Directory, group policies, mm-hmm. other elements. And, uh, you know, you want to make sure when you pick a partner that that you're sure that they have that requisite knowledge in Citrix, but also understand how it fits into the overall environment to ensure success. Bill, how many projects have you done that failed because of Citrix? Uh, I don't think I've had any that failed because of Citrix. How many failed because of some other ecosystem? Oh, absolutely. Happened? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we've had a, we've had some and, oh, and we've had those where there were exceeding challenges that were caused by another environment or another part of the environment or another product um, that we were able to resolve. But it took a lot of effort uh, on our part and the part of the customer and some pain. Um, which certainly blemished the overall solution at the at the start, but ultimately, in most cases, we come out of it. We come out of it fine, but it's it's a hard experience to it's a hard lesson to learn, I guess. Well, and I'll go back to the title of this blog: Desktop uh, as a Service Environment. It's a combination of lots of uh, philosophical, uh, philosophical, and other methodologies and products, um, human interaction. It, it takes a lot. It does good and always working towards getting it right or better. Yep. Gentlemen, thank you for the time. Excellent. It's good to be thank back. Good yeah, to be it back. is. Mm-hmm. We'll have to get Todd back on. I I uh, saw online the other day he has a new role, I think. Uh, we'll ask him about it when we get back, when he comes and joins us again. All right, guys. Thank you. Thank Appreciate you. Thanks, guys. See ya.